You're listening to Station F, the podcast. From the world's largest startup campus in Paris. This is Station F, the podcast, and I'm your host, Roxanne Varza. I'm super thrilled about this week's episode because we dive right into investing and specifically whether or not you can even teach investing. The first segment features Nikita Thakra, who is the co-founder and director of Included VC, a fellowship for a variety of different people who want to get involved in investing. And the second segment is moderated by Cindy Yang from the Station F team and features Jeff Morris Jr. and Andy Iam. Station F podcast. Focus. All right, Nikita, it's great to have you with us. And it's great to actually be talking to you. It's, um, it's a really nice day here, so I'm hoping to have a good conversation. Lovely. Well, my first question for you is, what do you even teach? Are you teaching term sheets? Are you teaching, what are the topics that you guys are covering? So I think the way to answer that would be, what do we not teach, right? I'm kind of going to go through it in a, in a bit of a different way. The really interesting thing about Included VC is that we didn't have precedent. Um, you know, there's been courses online and there's a few, they're kind of a few weeks long. You've got the MBAs that are taught in universities, but there was never a unique venture capital MBA model. And so you go in it thinking, what do they need to know? And then the answer is everything. <laughs> and then you sit there going, how do we do this in a very short space of time, which, you know, a year you, would, you wouldn't consider a short space of time. But in the VC world, when there is so much to learn, it's quite... Uh, condensed. So I'm sure we're going to go into it a little bit later, but I can give you the general um, topics that we cover. Yes, tell me, what what are the topics, the array of topics? <laughs> <laughs> okay, perfect. So we do, we start off with um, the fundamentals of venture capital. And I think that is really important because as you know, um, more than anyone, there is so much information out there, but no one really knows how a VC fund works. How does carry work? What do GPs do? What do LPs do? Um, so we start off with that. Uh, we then go into how do you source deal flow? Where does deal flow come from? Um, I think people just think it just comes to you. <laughs> the, the One of the biggest misconceptions is you sit behind a leather desk uh, wearing your vest and you tell founders whether or not it's the right right thing to invest in. That's so totally the idea I have in my head. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, I think that is, that's an interesting topic. And then they sit there and you're like, oh, this is where deal flow comes from. So interesting. So you've touched on kind of a few of the topics. And I know that the course, obviously, I think you go into like history of VC and really just covering like the entire industry, what the job is, the day to day, all the, you know, background elements. Um, but I'm, I think just to take a step back for listeners who are obviously less familiar with included VC and what's really the goal behind it? Is it just to teach VC and, and teach this to, to people who don't know much about it? Can I be very honest? The, the goal is genuinely 360 and holistic. So for example, just to give a bit of context, you know, Included VC is um, a 12 month fellowship. And we can also talk a bit later about how we're going to change that um, for individuals that are diverse um, or overlooked in, in the world of venture capital relative to society. And I think the really interesting thing that we're learning now, um, and I'm going to be very, it's our first year, we are still babies, is that it can be taught. However, and this is the really important thing, 
it is a marathon and not a sprint. And the person that we're kind of, that is going through this journey, really, it's not easy. And you've really got to push yourself. Um, so yes, you can teach it up to a point. You can give the foundations, you can give the secrets, the tricks, the tips, but the true kind of aim of finding a role within venture capital um, really does come down to the individual, which, and that's the hard bit. So we do the easy bit, I'd say, and then it's up to the individual to do the really difficult bit, which is finding that job and what they want to do. Okay. So essentially, I mean, you've talked about finding a role in VC. Is this majority of people will go on to join a fund, launch a fund? Ah, I love the question. So uh, again, I'm going to be, because I, because I know you and I love Station F, I'm going to be very honest and tell you that last year when we um, started included VC and had the recruitment process, we actually took on a variation of um, individuals from different backgrounds with different aims. So we had a few entrepreneurs on there. We had a lot of community builders and change makers who the, the remit was they would go back and you know provide consent and knowledge to their community. We also have those that wanted to go into venture as a full-time career. And then we have those that said, I'm in a career that I enjoy, but I want to do something within the VC industry, but maybe not as a, a typical analyst or an associate. And with that in mind, I would say that what we've seen is that most individuals have decided that VC is for them, luckily. They've all decided like what topic do they really enjoy and then kind of gone on from there. Okay, great. Um, I kind of want to come back to also the topic that we started with was really about all the different, um, the variety of kind of areas that you cover through this. And I want, I mean, you mentioned a misconception, the fact that maybe a lot of people think that, you know, being a VC is sitting behind a desk and telling entrepreneurs what to do. Um, and you just hinted on it a little bit in your response saying that and people do realize it's for them, but I'm assuming people also realize it's not for them. What are maybe the topics that people find the most surprising, the biggest, you know, kind of revelations, maybe the things that people have zero knowledge about um, that when they come into this? So um, I'll, I'll give you the, the biggest example, and I'm glad you can, you already touched on it too. It's about diversity. So I remember one of the biggest revelations was early on. We were all sitting in Berlin doing a simulation investment committee. So all the investors and partners were in the kind of circle, in a little circle in the middle of the room. And then the fellows were on the outer circle watching in. So it was like a, it's like they weren't there, but they were. And the one of the female investors presented a femtech product. And all the other investors on the kind of investment committee were male. And the most interesting, and I've never seen a room do this, the, the investor presented the product and the men in the room said, oh, is this how it works? <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm imagining what kind of product it I'm is. Repeat, I'm not going to repeat that name. <laughs> these, you know, these are people that have been in the field for a couple of um, years or more, um, maybe 15 years. And you could see in the outer layers, you know, 30 fellows sitting. And you could see all the women just look back and look at each other and all the men thinking, oh, we didn't. We didn't know this either. So I think it was the biggest hit point. And then um, I can talk a bit about the simulation investment committees that the fellows do. But it was honestly, I can still see that um, in my head. And in the end, they all decided that they would invest in this femtech product after a bit of convincing. Wow. 
That's fascinating. And I think it's a perfect example um, because I do think a lot of it's, you know, it's, it's incredible to me, but we still kind of hear people that almost need to be convinced why diversity actually matters. Almost like, yes, I know there's a political angle to it and, you know, I need to have a diverse team, but actually you've just hit it on the head of why it actually matters. Um, and so it's perfect. But I also want to dig a little bit deeper into the diversity element mm -hmm. because I want to know who participates in Included. Who is the who is this really trying to address? You know, this is a really uh, it, make, it takes me back to last year and it's kind of a bit of reminiscing. So when we initially started recruiting for included, we were, you know, it was a, it was a blind process. And when it's blind, you don't know who we're going to end up with on the other side. So, yes, it's amazing, but it's also a little bit, I wouldn't say scary, but a little bit you're not sure what to expect. And I was um, initially a bit skeptical that if we go all the way to the end and end up with a subset of people that look the same, are the same, then is this going to work? And I was told by a friend to trust the process. Um, so we did a huge outreach and the kind of people that we were trying to target. And I can safe to say that the fellowship today consists of 60% um, Black, Asian or mixed race, 60% uh, are women. And the reason that's such an astounding stat is because only 30% of applicants were female. Wow. <laughs> That's pretty impressive. Right? So I think that says something, right? And what's what's the criteria that you're looking for when you're selecting applicants? I mean, it, it sounds like you guys are really looking for something specific. So we're looking for, for four things, I would say. One, um, the, the lack of access to venture is why do you want to do this? And what has stopped you from from today, September 2020, why haven't you been able to get into it? Or is it something you've never thought of? Or is it any other reason? So one is like the lack of access to venture capital overall. The second is the curiosity and future plans. So what are you going to do for your cohort? What do you want to do for the industry at large in five years? How are you going to change the status quo if you get this opportunity? And then the third is um, the research and analytical skills. So in our application process, we actually presented um, applicants with two decks. And I'll be honest, they weren't real. I made them up. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it was fascinating to see the responses and how people thought about, um, whether with no experience or with some, how they really thought about how does this deck work? Do I want to invest in this? What data do I need? Um, and Roxanne, safe to say that we've had a lot of feedback from the applicants. There are a couple of thousand people. And everyone really enjoyed the um, the blind selection process, which which didn't ask them about their CV or education or where do you come from or tell me about you know what university you went to, but it asked them about them. And I think that's the difference. Wow, that's fascinating. And it sounds like you have a completely different pool from um, I want to call this kind of like the typical VC team that you would find. Um, I'm, I'm fascinated by this. So I think we've kind of gotten a gist of how it works. You apply, you analyze decks through the application process. Um, you join this program, you cover all these different topics. You, you mentioned that there's an investment committee. Are, is there a lot of simulation in what you're actually teaching or is it actually a lot of theoretical stuff? So um, Intruder VC generally consists of about, I would call them seven components. I do need a sexier word for this, but there are about seven components. And I'll give you the two that are, I think are the most um, really interesting and, and, and give you the kind of peace and holisticness of included. The first one is inspired by the Khan Academy model, the earlier Khan Academy model of learning, which was you don't learn in the quote unquote classroom. You do it beforehand. 
And something that we've tried to do, which I think is um, interesting, is there's a lot of information out there online. I'm sure you'll agree. Yes, <laughs> a ton. <laughs> it's, it's all in bits and pieces and it's all there, but it is there. And so what we do at Included is we compile what I like to call a one-on-one Bible. And it's about 20 to 30 pages of just everything you need to know about that topic. So it could be term sheets or um, how a fund works or um, cap tables. And then fellows will read this in their own time. They'll digest it and really get to a stage where everybody is on the same foundational level. Um, and that allows, so when they join the three-hour masterclass, um, it really allows them to go deep into a topic and ask really interesting questions and not just what is a cap table or what is a term sheet. Um, and it, it, you can really, it's fascinating to see the insights they got from the, the pack that we put together, plus all the extra reading that everyone always does. And then they get to talk to an investor for three hours, a couple of investors on the call, and see different opinions for the same questions. Wow, I love it. I My eyes kind of popped out of my head when I heard three-hour <laughs> masterclass, but otherwise sounded great. Um, no, and I'm also just curious because the people that you're working with, um, I mean, you have such a diverse community. What for you has been surprising? Is it is it going to sound cheesy if I say I didn't really expect what I'm about to tell you? I'm, now I'm curious. <laughs> So it, it, it's very cheesy, but I will tell you that the one thing I expected everyone to get along, you know, I expected them to like each other, hopefully, but something I didn't expect because it is 80% virtual and now 90% because of COVID, they actually, mm, I don't know if I'm going to use this word, but they actually love each other. <laughs> so it's really it's, a community. Yeah, it's it's lifelong friendships and it is just, it's magical. Um, how do you, after three days, form such a bond that it's for life? Um, a quick example of that is I put two fellows in touch to talk about something specific, and it was they must have got together on a weekend, two, two men. And they both texted me on a Saturday, a minute after finishing the call, and one said, I heart this person, please don't tell them. And the other person emailed me saying, I really like this person, why did I not talk to them before? <laughs> wow. I, I didn't expect that. You know, they help each other with jobs. Um, the WhatsApp group is every single day somebody will post something to help someone else. They make introductions for each other. They look out for each other. And it's something that I knew would be there, but not to this extent. So it's just, and, and the diversity of people, whether they're from Amsterdam or Berlin or London, their cultures they come from, their socioeconomic backgrounds. Some of them have kids who join the call. And I just love it. It's my favorite time when the newborns join the call and I get to R at the screen. Wow. Yeah, it's amazing. I feel like you're, defining every community kind of organizer's dream. Um, <laughs> it, is, it, it sounds, is, it is. yeah, it sounds incredible. So I think now I'm just wondering, um, how are funds reacting to this? Because I think we're at a time where all funds are clearly conscious of the problem, probably looking at each other going, do we need more diversity on our team? Um, and so are they actively reaching out to you, trying to recruit everyone as they come out of the program? What's been the response? I love that because the response has been overwhelming. I knew that people cared, but not to the point where every week somebody will reach out saying, can we help? Or can we um, do something? Can we give our time? And I do have to give a small shout out, if, if, if I'm allowed, to you know the, the founding partners and, and the, the people that are coming on board this year of Included VC, because they not only committed their financial support, which is, which is always a big deal, but they really do give their time all the way from partner level to associate level. And 
more than that, we've had new funds join us this year. So M12, Microsoft's Venture Fund has joined us. Um, and we also have another big announcement coming up soon. And honestly, Roxanne, it's just been, the industry has just said, wow, like we will do anything we can to help you. Incredible. So it's backed, it's also backed and supported by a number of funds. Yeah. And I think that's the difference between included VC and, you know, many other initiatives out there that it's not one fund saying we're going to do this. It's 10 funds that came together when it was just an idea. Roxanne, there was no, um, there was a logo, I think at that time, but I remember it just being an idea on the back of a napkin. And I don't think anyone realized that it would become the, you know, how far it would go. But I think that they just said, we want to make a change. And if we want to make the change, we've got to start now for the change we want to see in the next seven years. Yeah, that is totally what it sounds like. Um, I'm going to end on one last question for you. I'd love to know, I mean, it sounds like you guys have come a long way, um, more and more funds getting interested, working with these incredible people from very different backgrounds, um, kind of integrating them into an industry that needs them desperately. Uh, I'm wondering, what's your dream for this? Where are you taking it? Where's it going? I have a bit of a crazy dream. <laughs> it's a very personal one. Uh, my honest dream for this is in seven years time or five, I would like one of the fellows to be one, you know, have one of the biggest exits in Europe. I love it. Well, we're going <laughs> to we're going to circle back with you and check in on that. Thank you so much for being with us today, Nikita. Thank you, Roxanne. Next up, we have Cindy, who is interviewing Jeff and Andy. Jeff is previously VP product at Tinder, but now founder and managing partner at Chapter One and rolling out a very interesting scout program. And Andy is a self-described problem solver, product lead investor, and also the creator of the Angel Investing School in London. Jeff and Andy, thank you guys both so much for joining us today. Um, before we even start talking about your angel investing and VC scout programs, I want to ask you a first question. Do you think that investment is something that can even be taught? Uh, Andy, let's start with you. <laughs> well, thank you. So I guess I run the angel investing school. So in a, in a sense, I believe it is teachable. Um but at the same time, it's a very practical experience and you need what we call skin in the game. You need experience actually like doing it because you can learn about the term sheets. You can learn about sourcing where to find great entrepreneurs. You can learn about doing the due diligence, but actually um, it's very different when you're actually doing it for the first time and and putting your money into into the first deal. So, um, yeah, it's definitely teachable, but it's a practical experience that must be married with, with actual action and, and putting and getting some skin in the game. Fair enough. Thank you, Andy. We'll get the chance to dive into a bit more detail in just a bit. Um, turning to you, Jeff, before we dive into the VC Scout program that you are launching this month, can you just give us some background about Chapter One VC and how you started it? Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me, by the way. Uh, so Chapter One came out of, uh, I was the VP of product at Tinder and it was doing just a ton of angel investing. And uh, myself was in, in the uh, Index Ventures Scout program and decided to raise the funds. So I started it in August last year. Um, my background in product and product design was uh, what I wanted to focus the fund on. So um, we worked a lot with teams on product strategy, product recruiting, um, and hands-on design work. And so coming out of, of like a year being into the fund, uh, realized that there were, there were a ton of people on the sidelines who uh, have interest in investing in Scout programs are are well known. Most large firms have scout programs at this point, but 
I, I had not seen kind of a, an emerging fund do a scout program. And uh, the difference that we, uh, we wanted to do is we really wanted almost like requests for startups where you name exactly what you're looking for in a startup. Um, we did a request for scouts where we identified kind of the themes that we wanted scouts to work on. And um, it's a very small program. So it's only one scout per theme, but the themes are open source. Uh, future of work and then consumer social mm-hmm. and um, had just a, a crazy amount of interest. We had over 300 people apply for the positions and we did interviews um, just last week. So it's um, it was interesting to see just, just by identifying kind of the themes you wanted to attract, um, we ended up getting some, some amazing applicants. So um, yeah, very excited to launch it. It'll probably be live next month. Super cool. Who are the people? What kind of uh, profiles do you have amongst the scouts? Um, I mean, by theme, it, it very much depends. But in terms of, of open source, as an example, it's people who um, are deeply embedded within different open source communities. And um, we specifically didn't want to attract just like the typical scout who's working in Silicon Valley. Uh, we really wanted to, to attract a diverse group of people from around the world. And uh, I think the applications showed that was the case. And um, we also want to think of it as being more of an investment club and less of a program where we give you uh, a couple hundred thousand dollars and, and tell you good luck. So um, it's a pretty hands-on program where uh, we're meeting every two weeks to, to do what would be kind of like a Monday partner meeting. Um, and we're really kind of trying to, to simulate what uh, working at a fund would feel like. Uh, so hopefully it's it's more than just a checkbook for the scouts and it's also an educational program as well. Sounds super cool. Now, Andy, I'm curious, what kind of profiles do you have at the Angel Investing School? Yeah, it's a really diverse range of professionals. So, you know, we look at retirees. Um, so we work with companies and their retiree programs to um, get people who can really leverage their years of experience and the networks they have as well as their capital to actually carry on doing work in a different guise. We also work with um, a set of people who we call like influencers. So, you know, ex-professional athletes, um, uh, people who have maybe made their money through things such as vlogging or content creation um, and and musicians. Um, And then the third angle is actually we just work with diverse professionals in corporates and and different scale-ups to get them trained um, I guess uh, before they're ready to start angel investing, but because they're actually interested in in the actual content. So I guess those are the three kind of like main customer groups that we focus on for our training. Interesting. Now, how do you guys actually teach the different groups of people how to invest? How how does the program actually work? So at Angel Investing School, um, we run a si- seven week program remotely, um, and we have a different. Um, experienced angel investor facilitate a number of weeks and um, the topics range from a history of angel investing through to sourcing and assessing deals to key terms and tax relief um, which is really tailored to the UK context and we'll go all the way to teaching about post-transaction support and developing a thesis and throughout that whole experience um, we're really focused on empowering and enabling these emerging angels to to make informed decisions even if that choice is actually not to invest into startups but at least they understand the process the rules of engagement and how to actually go through the process if they wish to you know similar to what andy said i I think investing is teachable and you can definitely create a curriculum but a lot of the uh, lessons i've learned were just 
through making mistakes and, and hopefully making a few good decisions. So our theory is that by giving people the power to make investments, uh, they'll have some skin in the game. And, and, you know, along the way by having kind of Monday partner meetings and debating different investment ideas that gradually you'll build the muscle and the capability to um, determine what might be a good, good company to invest in. But it's definitely not um, a structured educational program like like Andy's doing. Right. So what do you ask your scouts to keep an eye out for? Is there any metrics or any criteria that you specifically recommend? Uh, we're so early that metrics are, are hard to uh, to kind of make decisions by. So a lot of it's just, just keeping your eyes open within your network for uh, software that either you're using or your friends are using that appears to be early stage and, and investable. Um, we have kind of a, a theme at chapter one that we, we like to invest in what we call software cults. And so it's um, uh, very community driven products that have kind of a, a cultish feeling to them. So Rome Research was one of our recent investments. And um, uh, yeah, you're just kind of looking for products that have some momentum behind them, but are still underground uh, to the general public. Yes. So this is something that I wanted to ask you about. Um, Coming from a product background yourself, I'm guessing that uh, there must be a strong product component to the way that you teach your scouts to invest. Um, So do you have any tips to share uh, with this regard? Definitely. I mean, um, part of it comes down to to kind of the backgrounds of people we love to work with and um, uh, personally love to work with former VPs of product, former directors of product. uh, directors of design, so people who who in their career have shown um, uh, a love for product design, and then uh, one of our earlier investments was Superhuman. So it's kind of people who take a similar approach, um, where it's very, uh, it's almost like 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 seeing like a craftsman or a craftswoman who's who's um, addicted to every detail of their product. So it's, it's, it's looking for people who uh, treat product as a craft and, and um, have a, lo- a lot of pride in every single detail of the product. So that's pretty vague, um, but uh, it's, you kind of know it when you see it, when you meet someone who really just obsesses over every detail. And uh, those are the types of, of founders we work with. And then also we, you know, beyond product, we, we also look for, for business models. So uh, definitely, as you mentioned, attracted to, to recurring revenue and, and SaaS like business models. Um, and, and yeah, so, so, uh, it's, it's business model driven too. Yeah. So it sounds like there is a strong intuitive part, um, that's based on trends. Um, Andy, I want to ask you how beyond the theoretical components that you teach at angel investing school, how do you teach your angels to keep an eye out for what's up and coming? You know, it's, it's, a, it's a good question. It's an interesting one because um, even hearing Jeff speak, like there's a lot of music to my ears because I was a product manager before um, I, I launched the Angel Investing School and I actually do products coaching still today. Um, so that customer-centric mindset is something that we try and even actually embody in, our, in the angels that we're teaching. So actually thinking about their founders as if they're their customers and understanding that they're actually founder needs and having empathy for the founder and what the founder's going through is one aspect of things. On a market trend um, aspect of things, um, I always try and kind of teach them about how to really understand like strong swimmers in, swamp, in, 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 in strong tides. And what I mean by that is if we look at angel investing as a trend, 
what we've noticed over the last five to 10 years is actually democratization and unbundling of angel investing because we now have equity crowdfunding platforms where actually you can invest into into startups that are running uh, fundraising on those platforms such as Republic, Cedars and Crowdcube with as little as $100, right? And then we've got rolling funds now for founders where or high resolution funds, I think they call them in the US, but in the UK we call it Seedfast, where actually founders can... Um, raise on an ongoing basis rather than commit to just closing the raise with just one fundraise. So we've seen all of these innovations that are happening actually in the fundraising space that for us as angels signal actually that um, angel investors are going to become more and more accessible in the years to come, you know, and it's going to move away from just, I think, clubs and syndicates to actually almost like micro syndicates where you can invest as little as 1,000 to 5,000 along with some friends or people that you know as part of a bigger round. Um, so yeah, I'm really interested in seeing that trend play out. And it's something that we kind of teach in the cohort when we talk about the history and overview of angel investing, where we think it's going, going forward. Yeah. Um, so what Andy just said totally resonates. I think um, we've seen the ability to invest as low as $1,000 through AngelList, but more recently, I'm seeing founders really embrace that idea of creating a syndicate of, of kind of your early customers who become investors in the company as well. And two recent examples, one, um, Rome Research announced they're allocating a million dollars to customers. Um, and they're using a, a crowdfunding platform, um, which allows you to invest as low as a thousand dollars, just being a customer. And so the idea being, if you enable people to invest in, in your company and be a shareholder, um, obviously they're going to have more incentive to, to use your product and also distribute your product. And then Another example, which um, a lot of people know of is, is Clubhouse in the U.S. And um, they did, I think, a 300-person uh, syndicate with with early community members and also um, just people they wanted to be within their ecosystem. So a lot of creators and um, content content folks. Um, but, but this is a trend that I think we're seeing it, founders embrace, which is really interesting because you're creating... Um, just really interesting networks of investors that that go beyond kind of what you think of traditional institutional investors being. I feel like we really are seeing this movement where investment is being democratized. So whether that's through things like rolling funds or through programs uh, like yours that are enabling a much larger audience to do investments. Um, I'm curious to know, so what are your individual objectives? What results are you expecting to see? Ideally, we'd find uh, companies that return capital to to our LPs and also um, of course <laughs> make, make make our scouts a little bit of money. But but beyond that, I think it's just tapping into uh, networks that that we would never be able to find ourselves. So it's um, looking for people from uh, different backgrounds who have very specialized interests. Who um, you know, as a small fun myself being a solo gp i only i only have so much time in the day and i also have a very specific worldview and um background that um i think i think could be limiting and so by by you know creating a, a network you um you're opening your arms to to just a wealth of, of different backgrounds and so the goal is to tap into um networks that find uh, really interesting investment opportunities. Yeah. And Andy, what's your vision with Angel Investing School? Where do you want to take this? 
So really, I think, you know, when I think about angel investing and the maturity of the startup landscape in Europe, I think we've got a lot of lessons to learn from our US counterparts. And, you know, I really want to try and empower this kind of learning across Europe so that the education can actually catch up with where the technology and the innovation is today in angel investing so that people can make more informed decisions, whether they're investing through equity crowdfunding, rolling funds, syndicates, or directly through themselves into startups. And, you know, Jeff shared a good example there of Clubhouse. Um, like a lot of customers would love to have a stake in the brands that they use day in and day out and the softwares that they're using um, on a regular basis. So actually those customers should be made aware and understand what the ins and outs are and the risk and return of those investments they're making into their favorite brands. I love that a big part of what you're doing is trying to make investment more inclusive and more transparent. I'm aware that sometimes in this tech space, it feels like a bit of a bubble and we speak our own language. Um, so like on our website, the angelinvestingschool.com, we also have a dictionary of terms, which really just lays out a lot of the um, terminology that we use in this space that actually makes it more accessible once you understand that language. So, you know, I think there's a lot more we can do um, in general to make technology and investing more accessible for for the average person. All right, guys, I think that's a really good point to end on. Thank you so much for sharing with us today. I really enjoyed meeting, uh, talking with you, Andy, and, and Cindy, thanks for inviting me. All right, everyone, thank you for joining us. If you like this episode, make sure to give us many, many stars. And if you have any feedback or if you want to suggest a topic or a speaker, uh, we'd love to hear from you on Twitter or by email at press at stationf.co. And finally, make sure to follow us and not miss out on our next podcast episodes. We're available on all your usual podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, and Google Podcasts. All right, see you soon.